physician on a mission to transform healthcare here in the United States. His education includes a bachelor's degree in biology from Rutgers, Newark, master's of public health with a concentration in social and behavioral health sciences from the Rutgers School of Public Health and a medical degree from Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. He has a total of three years postgraduate clinical training in internal medicine, pediatrics, and family medicine. His experience, expertise and future directions lie in prevention and the emergent field of lifestyle medicine. Saul believes that medicine can be used as a vehicle for social change. His vision is to build a healthcare system that mitigates and prevents chronic disease, empowering people to be active stewards of their health and construction communities, constructing communities that foster a culture of health by addressing lifestyle and social determinants, determinants of health. Thanks for coming on, Saul. Appreciate you, buddy. Yeah, uh, I appreciate you for, for having me. And, you know, coincidentally, you know, we're talking about creating communities uh, uh, of health and uh, and encouraging lifestyle change. And, and I think one of the greatest examples of that was you. And I remember talking to you a couple of years ago, like, whoa, you know, because you, you, it was just from one month to the other. There's just, and I knew it took longer than that, but um, you had a really transformative change, and I don't know if that's something you said, you, you, you spoke about here on the podcast, but uh, I mean, I think we can start there because uh, I think that's a great yeah. starting point. Like, like for sure. How did you go about making that change, and what inspired you, and what did you learn along the way? Sure. Uh, I mean, for me, I was I know I was like thirty six percent body fat. And I just know I can make a change because I just didn't feel comfortable in my clothes. I didn't feel comfortable running. I had this weird uh, snoring that kept going on at night. It was mild OSA, sleep apnea. So I had a lot of issues going on that I did not know that were underlying. And it was just due to like, you know, just the freshman 15, drinking, smoking, um, just doing the things that I did when I was younger, you know, because you don't know better, right? You don't know what are the causes of your lifestyle and, you know, just living like that college lifestyle and just being in those dorm rooms or those, um, you know, that environment where it's like a frat house or if it's just like, you know, just an environment that's like constantly like low dirty and low, just hectic and crazy. I think that made me realize like, Hey, like I'm back home with my parents. I really want to make a change. And this is something that is, I'm, you know, actively trying to do. And I'm, again, I'm trying to make another transformation happen. And hopefully it's a six stock this time and not just something that I <laughs> talk to myself out of it. So it's something maybe I didn't even, you know, talk to you about too. So, See, yeah, so my door, my door is wide open. You can definitely talk to me about that and I can definitely help you to get there. Uh, I, I, I think you mentioned something really important and, and I think that that's something we all go through, which is uh, we, we put ourselves in, in these environments, yeah. whether it be college, the military, you know, certain work cultures, uh, and next thing you know, especially I see this happen a lot and, and I find these sort of like uh, age points where people's bodies dramatically change. And it's from 18 to 21, at 25, at 30, at 35 and 40. Um, there's like a gradual like I always tend to see it. 
And I think for a lot of us, it kind of sneaks up on us because we're doing the same things we were doing when we were younger or we're engaging in similar behaviors, but our physiology is changing. And lo and behold, we wake up one day and like, holy smokes, like, you know, the, uh, and kudos to you for taking it upon yourself to, to just say, Hey, I'm going to try to learn more and I'm going to commit to changing my own individual behaviors. But uh, I wanted to ask you something really interesting to me because, uh, you know, all my friends in medical school, there's like this, like, uh, they, they kind of say it as like a running joke that like, Hey, you know, in the Indian community, like you can't sneeze without being next to like a doctor, right? Cause there's <laughs> someone, someone knows someone that knows someone that's like a doctor. Yeah, um, it's very true. how it could, you know, you said that you had all these issues and you didn't really know. Right. And how, how do you think that is that in an entire, in, in a community where, uh, someone knows someone that's a physician, like, like. How do you think that, that, you know, those dots weren't connected? Like, what do you think was missing? Like, I think it's, yeah, no, that's a great question after you saw, and Dr. Batista, uh, is it Batista or is it, but how do you, how do you pronounce it? Uh, uh but, but uh, Batista is fine, but Saul, you can just call me Saul, man. That, that, that's All right. awesome. no need for awesome. formalities here, you know? No, no, hundred percent. But I appreciate the, the, the respect, you know? No, definitely, definitely. I mean, it helps the viewers too, right? To address you a certain way. I know I'm your yeah. friend, but it helps the viewers too. So yeah. I think for me, it's just like more so about like embarrassment and almost like being a minority too. Like sometimes like being part of the, uh, like a, a, of like a brown community, it's almost like, you know, you can't complain about mental health. You can't complain about weight. You can't complain about your looks. So just like a certain standard I have to always keep meeting. So I think that was it. And I felt like even whatever I did, it wouldn't help. And just even like, even in the community itself, um, it was a little bit more so about the people always wanting the next big thing and they didn't understand like my current situation. So just like, I, it was one of those things where like I, everyone just wants something like at a very high standard. And I felt like the just like materialistic stuff or just things that are like in their lives, like they just want to grasp. And I felt like I wasn't one of those people like that could just go up to them and open up to them. But the conversations are very um, external facing. It's not internal facing. So I can't really, you know, tell them that, Hey, I'm going through this issue or that issue. So it was just about opening up, man. I mean, it just feels like it's a whole community, but sometimes a community also has its uh, drawbacks too, I think. But yeah, I think that was what it was. Yeah, it, 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 it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, on the one token, uh, it's a really high achieving community by traditional standards. Yes. And that's something I always like admired of, of all my Indian friends, like in medical school, I was like, just like, man, you guys have like really connected families and, 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 and they're really high achieving and, and good values. And I was like, man, that, that, you know, that's awesome. Like, um, but on, on the one token, uh, uh, yeah. it can it can lead to um, wanting to be connected and accepted by that community, and that may put people in a place where they um, may feel socially isolated or even lonely in a way because they can't express emotionally their concerns or fears. 
right? You don't want the aunties talking ish behind your back, right? Spreading that around. One more excuse. I can uh, I can feel that, and and I think like that's a good segue to because uh, I think you touched upon something really important, uh, which is the role, and even now we're starting to know more and more the role of social connectedness uh, and positive psychology and the role that it plays in health. I mean, it, it's dramatic. If, if people who feel connected to their communities, they feel a sense of purpose, actually it's starting to show that at least through epidemiological studies that uh, they have lower mortality uh, than people who don't have those things. Uh, right. Yeah, and I mean, we'll, we'll we'll expand upon that a little bit later on, but I think yeah. we should we should start with defining what health is, because I was just yep. Uh, because I, everyone talks about being healthy or doing this or doing that for for my health, but I don't think we've ever really understood, or at least the way we practice medicine nowadays and what people view as medicine. I don't think people have a really good understanding of what that even means. Uh, so if it's okay with you, I'm going to try to bring some clarity to that so that we can continue this for conversation. Sure. That would help for sure. Uh, so health, um, as defined by the World Health Organization, is a state of optimal physical and mental well-being. And, and so there's certain factors that contribute to that. And uh, I'm a big advocate for the field of lifestyle medicine because lifestyle medicine incorporates and integrates those six factors. And so those six factors are uh, a predominantly whole food plant-based eating pattern. So a component of nutrition, uh, exercise, stress management, social connectedness, sleep, uh, and the reduction of har harmful, harmful substances. Uh, and what we find is that it's really those six things uh, that either um, that drive us toward disease or drive us to optimal well-being, you know, and optimal health. And so it's modulating those factors. And, and, and I know one of the things that's important to you is really talking about mental health and, 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 and emotionally how that impacts us overall. Uh, so uh, I'm here to, I'm happy to answer yeah. any questions you may have regarding that and for your audience. So, so diving in, right? Like mental health is always about mentally feeling optimal or stable, right? So these six pillars, do you believe these six pillars, if one does them correctly, they can achieve happiness? Would that be like possible? Uh, so it, it, in achieving happiness, uh, it, it's it's a, uh, that's the entire what the entire field of positive psychology is based on, uh, and so uh, there's a lot of research coming out now uh, in how do it, historically we have always studied mental health through the lens of disease, like what makes people sick. We never really studied, huh? What makes people well? What makes people more resilient? And people who have a sense of optimism and well, 
well-being and just like there's mm. like these bright gregarious people that people are p positively drawn to uh and so it, there's sort of six factors uh i think it was his name was dr seligman um he was in like the early 2000s who sort of coined the the positive psychology field and so he looks at really six, uh five factors that are sort of contribute to happiness uh okay. the first is having positive emotion and and so people who view life uh with a sense of optimism uh tend to be happier and so you know, you can ask people uh, how satisfied do you feel with life how often do you feel like life is going well um do you feel well today uh and the people you you've ever met those people that they're like yeah oh today was great this that or yeah, oh man yeah, life yeah. is great like that they're just all in doesn't matter what day it is what's going on in their life they just, they just always have like this satisfaction they're, the, they're constantly cheerful and, like, yes really after that, so. yes 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 uh and, and so that's one contributing factor uh the the second factor is engagement um it, you know do they feel connected and excited to the things that they do whether it be the work that they do whether it be with their families uh it, it, do they feel connected to these things um you know and again are actively engaged and mindful of these things uh, oh, that's, that's oh is there is there more um to go go through oh yeah there, there, there's three others uh there's three oh, others. okay yeah so uh, and then we that can elaborate and talk about these things some more. Uh, awesome. The, the, the next factor is, uh, relationships, like do, do uh, the quality of their relationships. Do they feel supported? Do they have uh, a variety of relationships? Uh, and do they feel nurtured uh, and gain support and, and does that enhance it, uh, their experience and value system? Uh, so. It, that's another factor of uh, uh, the fourth is meaning. Do they find meaning and purpose uh, in their lives? Uh, and it doesn't have to be tied to work because you can be a mom right? and your purpose is to uh, provide support for your family and nurture your family. And that can be all the meaning that you need. Right? That's a very meaningful life. Yeah. And the last is feeling like a sense of accomplishment, uh, meaning that you can look back at the things that you did and feel like a sense of pride uh, in what you did and what you're doing. And, uh, uh, and so if you look across the continuum along those five things, those tend to be pretty good predictors of happiness. And this is just my opinion. But I think that within our society today, people for eight to 10 hours of their day are engaged in, let's just call it work. They're just engaged in an activity that they don't find fulfilling, um, that in a way may, may, may be lonely for people, but just because just, you're surrounded by people. If you're surrounded by people that, uh, 
you may not relate to or be working together with on a specific mission, um, you may not be emotionally connected. So that's, that, that's essentially loneliness, um, is, yeah. is, is this mental, uh, state of not feeling connected to others. So when you're in that environment for a third of your day and you're being exploited for your labor, you're, you're, you're probably not going to feel happy. And to touch base on that too, like many people now have worked from home jobs, right? Me being one of them. And when I used to go to the office, I used to have all these connections with people. I used to go play ping pong downstairs with some of them. I used to go out for a happy hour. Now, since the pandemic, I mean, dude, it's just like working from home just feels like you're trapped in a cage. You're almost in a jail cell. And this feeling of isolation and loneliness is there after doing it for like two years. So yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely like one of those factors that play into it, you know? So. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, yeah, that's why there's so much depression, uh, it, it, during COVID. Well, COVID had a twofold effect, uh, I believe. Uh, I think from one angle, for a lot of people, it, it people, uh, they lost the they lost their relationships because they were now socially isolated. And I want to make the distinction between being socially isolated and lonely because they're two different things. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Social being socially isolated just means that you're physically displaced. Um, and that you're just physically, you don't have people around you. Um, being lonely is you have people around you, but you not, may not necessarily feel connected to them. And so you're not emotionally, you're emotionally, uh, isolated. And so those are two distinctive things. Uh, yeah. So people lost the quality of the relationships. Uh, it, they lost uh, a sense of meaning. So if they were engaged in work with people working on a mission that they cared about with people that they enjoyed, uh, you lost a sense of meaning, you lost a sense of accomplishment. You know, you were, you weren't engaged. And so I agree with you, man, that, that, um, for COVID, COVID also on the, on the, on the flip side, I think a lot of folks realized that work wasn't fulfilling, that being engaged, being with, finding a sense of meaning, having a sense of accomplishment, find, you know, being accomplished um, in the things that provide you with meaning, that that's important. And they looked at their jobs and said, my job, it doesn't do any of those things. I need to completely shift gears, you know? Uh, so sort of looking at it from that lens kind of makes sense, you know? It does. And I feel like a lot of people during COVID realized too, like, hey, maybe this is not the right thing for me. And they pursued new passions. And, you know, a lot of people found meaning, like one of your other points that you made, like meaning is such a big one too. I think if you don't have any meaning, you feel all the other symptoms definitely do creep up, right? And things such as like depression, loneliness and stuff like, Meaning is like the biggest thing because I feel like if you know why you're doing something, the why work, you know, you definitely know what you're going to accomplish to a certain degree in the future. But at the same time, you know, it, it motivates you throughout the whole journey, right? So, uh, Absolutely. Uh, and th there's a sort of like terminology that we use uh, in the field uh, that there's uh, like hedonistic um, which is like, yeah. like short-term materialistic pleasures and, and eudaimonic pleasure, right? Um, which seeking, seeking activities that induce pleasure, uh, but that they're tied to like something purposeful and meaningful. Uh, and, uh, and so, 
yeah, you can seek quote unquote happiness uh, or, or, or feelings of pleasure. Let's, let's not call it happiness, but more so feelings of pleasure. Uh, but there's two distinct arenas to get it from. And typically what we see in society is because uh, we tend to lean on hedonistic sources of pleasure versus eudaimonic sources of pleasure, uh, because this is just an absence. It's like there, you know, we don't find there aren't, we're not engaged in activities that, um, that are eudaimonic. And so we turn towards like the drinking, the concerts, the parties, the you know, other Turn activities, turning up, sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, <laughs> you know you to get that short term, you know, like hit a dopamine uh, to get us through versus finding things mm -hmm. that are meaningful. No, and it definitely does feel good in the moment, right? But then deep down, like I feel like sometimes I'm like out partying and I'm thinking of like what I should be doing with my life. But I guess everybody kind of goes through that, right? Like you're at that club or you're out somewhere and you're just like, man, I should be doing something else in my life. But you're still in, like, you know, kind of taking part in these activities to be form social connections, to just kind of have a stress relief. So how does, like, how does one manage their health? Like the stress that comes with it? How would you uh, say like uh, stress management? How would that work? And so. So uh, from a, from a scientific standpoint, yeah, uh, there's something that's thrown around a lot in the community. It's called MBSR or mindful, mindfulness-based stress reduction, um, it, which is really just an, an acknowledgement. I, it's just being uh, conscientious uh, and, for lack of a better word, mindful uh, of, A, what we're feeling, why we're feeling it, um, allowing space to, you know, to recognize it and accept it and being in a place of acceptance. Uh, because I think what, what, what tends to happen is that uh, a lot of the things that cause us stress or a lot of the feelings that we get for a lot of people, they feel them, but they never take the opportunity to explore the, uh, the you know, why did these feelings get triggered? What was the trigger? Does it really make sense that I'm feeling this? Uh, and really taking that deep dive, we just sort of just react and then try to do something yeah. to counteract that without, <laughs> you know, really acknowledging that. And, and um, right. you know, I, I, and, I'll, and I'll give you, I'll give you a clear example uh, with myself. I had to give a talk uh, at, at a conference recently and, and I felt this, uh, enormous level of like just stress and pressure. And, and yeah. it, it was just, it was just like, I was, I was nervous. And, and usually I have no problem speaking in public. Uh, but I, I, I was scared and I felt this pressure and there was this fear. And, and it, and when I, I had to take a step back and kind of think about it, I'm like, dude, why are you nervous? You're never nervous to speak in front of people. And when I thought about it, it was like, well, I want people to, I want to communicate this, this idea of what is lifestyle medicine? Why it's so important in medicine. And then I had to think about it and I was like, oh, um, well, why is it making you nervous that in communicating that you can communicated that many times? Um, and then it was like, 
well, I don't, I want, I don't want people to, uh, or I was afraid that the audience, um, wasn't going to see my, my viewpoints as valid. And it's like, well, why, why, why does that make you afraid that they're not like, how does that impact you that if they're going to view it as valid or not? Uh, and it, it, and at the end of the day, it was just rooted in, in this internal need. Um, it was basically my own like self prescribed need for, for feeling competent, right? Is that I wanted to feel a sense of competence, right? It, and that if I communicated effectively and I made logical, uh, presented logical arguments and data, if, if I did that correctly, people would internalize my messaging, right? Because it's correct. Uh, and that in itself means that I'm competent. Uh, and, and it's, and it goes deeper than that. It's like, well, you can take it deeper than that. Well, why do you feel like you have to ha uh, have a sense of competence? So it, it's really sort of breaking these things down. Uh, uh, a, and it was just also me having to say, Hey, it's okay. Like that doesn't dictate, uh, your value in the world that doesn't dictate whether you're a good physician or not. Like, again, I had to actually think about these things and not just react to the emotion. Um, and there's other techniques like, like breathing techniques. Um, and there's a variety of modalities, uh, within that, uh, that, that target stress reduction, uh, physical activity and exercise is a great stress reliever. Um, again, uh, in, engaging in enjoyable activities with people that you care about, people that you love, people that love you, um, again, is a form of, of, uh, engaging in activities that you find meaningful. Like for some people that's art, you know, it's like drawing, um, is, or going out in nature is their form. So there's a variety of things that people do. And I think it's tied to what we were talking about earlier, um, things that either people find positive, they can reflect a positive emotion on, they can either be engaged with some sort of relationship that is positive for them, something that gives them a sense of meaning and purpose. Those are all means for reducing your stress. No, and definitely. And I commend you for kind of like, you know, getting your message across out there because it's not easy. Sometimes I just feel like uh, as humans, like we do so much research and data but like sometimes we have to tell ourselves too, like, hey, like it's okay, it's gonna be all right. I have to break this down, and I guess you found your why, right? Like, why am I doing this in the part in, when you were presenting, mm -hmm. you know, in the conference? So I think that's awesome. So what also are you would say like um, to promote that kind of like you know stress management and a lot of these other positive habits? Like, what are the factors that promote health exactly? Um, would you would you um, you know, could you get into that a little bit and help us understand like what really drives health and lifestyle medicine? Uh, so uh, lifestyle medicine is, uh, it's an emerging and rapidly growing field uh, of medicine. Uh, and it's tied to the application of six pillars. And like I mentioned earlier, which are yep. uh, nutrition in the form of a whole food plant-based eating pattern. Uh, exercise, sleep, stress management, social connectedness, and the reduction of harmful, harmful substances. 
when I help a patient to change those things, uh, not only can we prevent disease, but we can treat and in intensive cases, reverse disease. So if you have high blood pressure, you have sleep apnea, you have diabetes, uh, we can reverse uh, and drive these things into remission, get you off of medication. Uh, and so the question is, you know, historically in medicine, we knew two tools, surgery, pharmacotherapy. And like, it was either, we had a hammer and a hacksaw and literally everything <laughs> we just hammered or hacked or, or chopped it, you know? And, right. yeah. and some really astute physicians along the way said, wait a second, we have tons of medication, tons of procedures, but uh, people's life expectancy is decreasing. The United States, despite us spending four more times per capita than every other developed country, we ranked nearly last in health outcomes. So it's like something isn't right. And, and, and you know what it was too? Was, what was it? Physicians themselves becoming afflicted with the very diseases that they were studying. And when they engaged with the health system and it didn't solve their problems, they had, they had to go and look like there has to be another way. And I, and I, and, and for a lot of older physicians, that's kind of how they stumbled upon, um, this, like they, a lot, for a lot of them, they ended up changing their lifestyles and they got better. And so naturally the, the scientists within them said, why is that? What happened physiologically? Like, and they really dove deep on, and one of the leading things that we're seeing today is just the role that uh, dietary choices play in driving disease. Obesity is exploding. I, I, obesity and diabetes are like uh, single-handedly are like driving the chronic uh, illness epidemic. Uh, and it's really related to our food quality. Um, what we've come to define as food, uh, actually we should take the opportunity now and define what is food. Um, Food for me, burgers. <laughs> but food for me yeah. is something that it induces uh, optimal physical and mental well-being, which we defined earlier as health. And so, if you're ingesting something uh, that doesn't do that, is that really food? And I think historically, what we've come to define as food is just something that has calories and certain micronutrients and what we're starting and what we know now is that it's not just calories in calories out and vitamins and minerals that what we eat uh has a profound impact on our physiology specifically in our gut and the the hot topic right now is the gut microbiome how uh, predominantly ultra processed food and plant-based food, how it shifts what we call the gut microbiome or the populations of bacteria, viruses, fungi in our gut and how that's tied to the immune system and how that drives disease. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I can probably talk for the next hour, but I know we don't have an hour. So I, I want to provide the most value to you and your audience. So if you have any questions about, we can talk, we can yeah, spend I, it. 
I have so many. I mean, thank you so much, Doctor. And like, uh, and Saul. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, like, no, it's interesting because there's like so much about gut health that is low enough too, right? And thing is, like, there's good bacteria and there's bad bacteria for you, and it does. The good bacteria helps you aid in weight loss as well, and helps you with a lot of other things that are going on in your body. And the fact that, yeah, I think something very interesting you said was the fact that lifestyle medicine helps without just the scientific, you know, drugs and substances coming in, but it also helps you understand like how you could go something in reverse. And like, you know, even with me and my family, we have like a history of diabetes. We have a history of, uh, you know, sedatives to take, right? So like, you know, definitely lifestyle medicine is like what everyone can benefit from, especially the audience too. And it's not just like, okay, let me take a pill, pop that and like continue living. But let me also change my lifestyle, change those like, implement those six pillars in my life and then make a change right so i think that's such an important thing uh but going back to the questions yeah i i have a lot uh so i would say what what is your biggest life lesson you learn from pursuing lifestyle medicine and is it something that uh you still carry to this day uh, uh that's a great question uh, thank you so i always quote unquote, considered myself to be like health conscious. Uh, and, uh, it was always something that was important to me because I always wanted to, I wanted to be the best version of myself. Uh, and so I, I it, when I was in high school, uh, I was a track athlete and so, and physical activity and exercise was important to me. Uh, and, and I knew that like nutrition played a role in that. Uh, little did I know that, uh, I, I, I got most of my information where most people get, you know, just, you know, hearsay stuff on the internet, uh, and, and, you know, a couple guidelines here and there, like USDA, it wasn't until I got to the, the field of lifestyle medicine and a lot of the folks on the, who are on the forefront of all this science, um, which most of the medical community is like in the dark. And I, and that is the scary part that the people who we view that are supposed to be the vanguards of health that should be communicating to this, us, to us, don't know, have no clue. A, because it's not taught in medical school. It's not emphasized in residency. And to be frank, most people in medicine really don't live healthful lifestyles. Um, so it wasn't until I really got exposed uh, a year before medical school uh, that I was like, holy smokes, like I need to continue to refine this. And I think all of us are on this journey. I think all of us like to think that we're living in a healthful way. Right? Uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and including me, I was there. Uh, but I think we need to continue to strive. And, and, and I think if the, the message that I sort of want to put out to, to your audience is like uh, Google lifestyle medicine, find the lifestyle medicine physician. Because <laughs> these are the folks who are at the cutting edge. These are the folks who are studying mm -hmm. exercise physiology, who are studying the relationship between exercise and disease, food and disease. Like a lot of the gut microbiome, um, it, it come, there's a gastroenterologist uh, who, again, he's a lifestyle medicine oriented GI doctor. And he's really one of uh, the biggest proponents and people who's been talking about the relationship between food and the gut microbiome. Uh, and so 
I encourage people to, because traditional medicine, it's, it, it's missing in traditional medicine. So where else are you supposed to get it from? Right, and, right. I, uh, and, and I think that's why uh, I've been such a huge advocate is because it scares me. It scares me in that our generation is, we're going to be the physicians for the next 20 to 30 years. And it would be very difficult for me to know, to just sit back and let that happen, knowing that someone who has high blood pressure is going to be just told here, take this medication or who has diabetes, right. just take this medication and watch because medication, the way I see it, yeah, it's good, but it's like duct tape. It doesn't really fix the underlying problem. Mm -hmm. It just kind of patches it up, but the leak is still there. And eventually that thing is going to like, yeah. It, it, and so I've seen enough suffering in the hospital and I've seen what, what happens when we don't address these things. And I don't want to see a future where people are suffering unnecessarily over something that's so simple. It's what we put on our plates. It's how we move. It's how we relate to other people. It's easy. Yeah. You don't need to design some super hyper fancy rocket procedure that's going to cost $80,000 for a problem that can be so easily fixed. Do you think as humans, we overcomplicate everything? Because I feel like honestly, the answer to a lot of the, like what you're saying, I think it should be simple, right? It should be not so complicated and you shouldn't be taking all these, like as a first resort, like medications to, you know, quote unquote, put on a duct tape, put on seal, but why, why is that? Like, why do we make things so complicated? Why are people so scared to like, you know, move and, you know, maybe take charge of their diabetes or something that's so reversible, but it's like they turn to insulin or something, especially for type two, if I'm correct. Uh, well, I'm not I, a doctor, so. I, I, I think there's multiple factors to that. I, I think for one, uh, the, this, I always tell people the solution is simple. The science behind it is complex, but that doesn't, that doesn't preclude, uh, doing the simple thing, even if we don't, uh, you know, understanding the science is a little bit more complicated. Uh, I think the people that we, we recruit into medicine because they don't live these things themselves. Uh, it, it, get, it becomes harder for patient again. It's hard for patients to implement it when the folks who should be providing the example and communicating the information, A, don't do it for themselves, and then B, know nothing about it. Uh, um, and so A, you need the information. And right now, we the folks who are supposed to be that sort of information don't know it or have it. So, no. so that's one problem. And then B, I think it's creating environments and structures that induce positive behaviors. So, and just a very simple thing, uh, it, a lot of these things are more public health focused. Like you're more likely to go and walk if you have sidewalks or, you know, the people you surround yourself with, if they're people who like to go hiking and be outdoors or play sports, those are your friends. So you're more likely to engage in those activities. Uh, but there has to be environments that 
allow for that. So when you place parks or green spaces near people, they're more likely to want to spend time outside and be outside and engage in outdoor activities. So I think all these things play sort of like a role as to what allows people to a engage in behaviors and then sustain them. We can have an entire conversation. I mean, we would probably talk for three hours as to what are all the social determinants of health and what are things that uh, allow people to engage in health promoting behaviors. Well, let's talk about it. I mean, I would, I would love to know uh, a little bit about it, I guess. So what are those uh, p- components that do in- help people engage in like, you know, social behaviors that are like helpful? What are those things? Uh, so uh, there's an entire category uh, that are deemed social determinants of health. Uh, and, you know, w- w- one of the biggest ones to, to start off the bat is just, uh, poverty or economic empowerment. If you're struggling just to meet your basic needs of housing, transportation, uh, the last thing you're worried about is exercising. The last, uh, if you have to work two jobs just to make ends meet, and that requires you to sacrifice and only sleep five hours a night, that's what you're going to do. and so until people's basic needs can be met, it's it's very difficult uh, to engage in those behaviors. The other thing is, too, is we, we have to create structures to allow for those behaviors. Uh, when you live in a food desert and the closest uh, supermarket that offers fresh food is about 12 miles away and you don't have a car, and that means getting in a bus uh, commuting for an hour and a half, having to carry tons of bags, commute another hour and a half back versus walking a block down the street to the bodega or, you know, or the Popeyes, like, and Popeyes for three ninety nine versus the three hour trip <laughs> bags. It's so much easier to save too. You know, you see a savings. I mean, it's easy to save when you're eating junk in your body, right? I noticed that too. I feel like healthy food is so expensive. You can go to like Freshy or a Collard Green and it'd yeah. be just expensive, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, it's, and I, and I think that's part of the process is trying to make the, the trying to make the healthy choice the easiest and the default choice. Um, no, definitely. Oh, I definitely agree with that as well. So, um, well, uh, okay. So I think I have more questions as well. Uh, does social media, could you use social media to help you regarding lifestyle medicine and can it get you out of, get, can it help you get your message across to people that are far away? You know, like those people that can't attend your conference or whatsoever, right? Like people that are just looking up to you or maybe they have an interest in your field. Um, uh, like, you know, you think social media has like an effect on that where you can use it uh, positively for that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, any any platform that you can use to uh, disseminate information, whether whether it be social and, and we've seen that, right, that social media uh, is a very powerful medium. And there's been a lot of conversations right. in the professional space of how can health professionals uh, use that medium to combat misinformation and use that as a viable platform. And I think there's a lot of conversation about 
uh, how do we develop ethics around uh, health communication and using social media as, as a medium to do that? Awesome. Yeah, no, I definitely think that it's like a way where, you know, one can learn from uh, all the teachings that you kind of have to, you know, when it comes to the six layers of lifestyle medicine, but it's something that, you know, social media can help get the message across, right? You know, like the truth about doctors, the truth about like, just like how it is nowadays, you know, and I really appreciate you sharing that with us today. I think a real world view really makes an impact, right? Rather than hearing like, oh, you know, this is a medication and this is what I can do. Um, so I guess what is your advice to those that are struggling with implementing all six pillars in their lives? Is that, is there like a technique to it or is there, is, is every pillar, you know, something? I would say, uh, that the first thing I would, uh, the first thing I would do is, is a, just congratulate them for even thinking about it and even considering it. Right? Next, next thing I would, I would say is, uh, find people who love and want to support you becoming the best version of yourself and really approach it with humility. I think like we're all on this journey, including myself, someone who studies this day in and day out, uh, we're all trying to reach an optimal state. And that means uh, we're always going to be on that continuum of striving to be the best that we can be. And no matter where you are in that journey, if you're just getting started uh, or if you've been on that for a while, um, none of us have reached the mountaintop. Uh, we're all trying to get to the highest point uh, for ourselves. And so you don't have to feel ashamed of that. Uh, I, I would say celebrate that and, and you know, include us yeah. to you for like, you know, like coming on board and you have an entire community of people that want to help and support you. Uh, you can call, message, email, hit me up on social media. <laughs> I am happy to just give that any information that you need for free and just give you what you need um, to get you uh, to where you want to be. And, and I think all my colleagues uh, want the same thing. Yeah, because I was just thinking, man, and I really appreciate you, you know, just sharing my posts and also supporting me. I mean, I, I was thinking like people don't, not everyone has money for copay, not everyone has money for insurance. So, you know, whatever holistic approaches we can have on this podcast would really help, you know, especially for those that can't afford stuff, you know, especially from like just any kind of way, right? Because not everyone has money like that, you know? So I think it really, really helped. Yeah, I, I, you just mentioned the great point in that that is sort of the, the, the problem that I'm trying to solve is yeah. um, just from an ethical place is yeah. that uh, this information as healthcare traditionally is like fee for service, meaning you come to the office, I give you something, whether it be information, a prescription, or I do something to you and you get paid. And, and people may not agree with me, but I don't feel that this perspective or this information that I have should be withheld in exchange for money so that people can then be live their, their most optimal life. And so part of what I would like to explore, and I guess the social experiment question that I have is, can we redefine or transform our healthcare system to one where it becomes profitable by people engaging in the very behaviors that they need to, to 
make themselves well, that when people engage in those behaviors, the healthcare system actually does better than when they don't. And I don't, and my own value system is that I don't want to withhold this information um, so that, and that people have to give me money to, to get it. Like this, this should just be given to people. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, in a natural economy, there always has to be, because certain things require resources to produce and, and people's time and energy should be compensated. Uh, but I, I feel conflicted as a physician, like, uh, hey, like something simple, like what's on your plate, I shouldn't withhold that information uh, just so that you can do better. Like, like, or, or I shouldn't withhold that knowing that that can just make you better and ameliorate so many problems and avoid uh, surgery, disease. Like, that's a simple thing. That's what we do on a daily basis. And, um, so exactly. And I think and I think someone that wants like a quick turnover, maybe like they have like a, a son, a daughter, and they're very young and, you know, they don't have enough money to like change their lifestyles. And they look at lifestyle medicine and, you know, just a doctor giving them advice and getting paid for it. I mean, in that quick turnover time frame of, you know, whatever their kid is going through, I think the last thing they care about is money, right? So I think just having that knowledge for them would be really helpful. And it, and it goes for a lot of other fields too. Uh, I really think it should be some kind of funded program or something. And I, I, I definitely think that for more complex cases, there, there, there'll be a role where uh, yeah. there'll have to be some sort of funding. But the reality is that the funding is there; um, it's just misallocated. Uh, so, healthcare as a whole is a is almost a four trillion dollar industry. The thing is that we allocate a lot of that money into medical care, which by default, medical care only accounts for 10% of someone's entire health outcome. Uh, and if we were to take that money and actually put it in the community, put it into programming that, uh, put it into the hands of farmers, into the food system, put it into exercise professionals and creating a health promoting economy and health promoting ecosystem, we can actually keep a population well. But right now uh, we keep it in the hospital. And I'm not saying that um, doctors now don't do good work. I think in select cases we do, but I think we can do better and be more effective by allocating that funding uh, into community programming that um, is founded on lifestyle medicine. Uh, and I think we can, we can be very effective there. I, I agree. Just, and it's great food for thought too. And, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's, it's going to take time, but if the right people are formed and the right groups come into place, I think we can really make an impact when it comes to addressing that issue in our government or just in our um, country, right? Because I feel like a lot of other countries are free, like, this free, like, uh, you know, healthcare system going on. And it's just like, sometimes I'm like, man, uh, I don't know why we don't have that, right? So. Um. It, it, that is true. Well, well, uh, we can put free in quotations uh, in that quotations. those those governments or those societies as a collective have it decided that there was, you know, the, the tax rates in those countries are actually pretty high. Like I, I think in Germany, 
Uh, it's pretty absurd, yeah. It, it, 20, it's pretty. It's pretty high, but people are willing to pay that, and because they know that they're contributing to the collective and that they're receiving benefit for that. Uh, I think what happens here is yeah. that uh, you know, if you look at your W two, you probably have eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars. And this is just I'm just saying for the average in income earner, that's right. being applied to Medicare, Medicaid, and Medicare. Medicaid and Medicare only applies to a small portion of the population, and that's being spent on medical care, really expensive, inefficient uh, care at the hospital. Uh, and and I can have another podcast and tell you about all the ridiculous <laughs> stuff that I saw in the hospital and, and why we have the inefficiencies that we have. But we'll leave that for another time. Um, I think life. Going back to your earlier point, things do need to be paid for, and so I think in the future. Lifestyle medicine physicians will take be able to take really sick patients and put them through our equivalent of what we of critical care, uh, which is how do you take someone with heart failure and uh, an early stage heart failure and do cardiac rehabilitation and through weight loss and optimizing their diet? Can we get them to a point where we drive a lot of the, those early heart failure? Uh, symptoms into remission. And uh, I think part of the science that we don't know yet is to what extent do people with heart failure, can they even get better? Um, the basic science tells us that um, through exercise, uh, it induces cardiac remodeling in a beneficial way. But I, um, I don't think we've ever intensely have studied when we do very, very, very intense lifestyle modification to include all components of someone's well-being, uh, how that indu what how, what that induces physiologically. Um, so again, lots of research to be done. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential and a lot of growth for the field, and I think it's a really exciting time because we're actually going to be able to make people well, uh, and we've seen that, we've done that in the profession. And it's a matter to continue to expand that and impart this knowledge onto people so they can uh, be empowered and take it upon themselves uh, to keep themselves well for the most part. No, and definitely, like, as you, like, starting this career path, I would definitely love to hear your stories as you go further and maybe come on another second, third, fourth, fifth episode with you and, you know, just understand all these stories, you know. It'd be so cool to know, like, someone can get back so that 100% after a heart attack. I know the heart suffers a lot, like when you do have a heart attack and, you know, just there's so many complications with it. I, I don't know if this is true, I'm not a doctor, but I know part of the heart dies almost like when you have a heart attack. So, um, and I don't know if that's really true, I'm not a doctor, but um, I know there's it comes with complications moving forward, that much I know, um, so. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that, is that um, there's a part of the, you know, in, in, in really bad, People have really bad heart attacks or, or, or it what we call ischemia uh, that leads to tissue death. Um, that, that part of the tissue that if it does die, uh, they have it, it, over a course of a couple months, it becomes scar tissue and sort of like non-functional. Uh, wow. And so in those folks, uh, can you have an improvement? It's hard, it's hard to say. Um, uh, I think that's the beauty of science is that 
science, you develop a hypothesis and then you test that hypothesis. And fortunately for us, uh, there were physicians a long time ago that hypothesized that, huh, you know, there's a relationship between obesity and disease. Uh, I think food may play a role in that and exercise. And if we do that, people get better. And people did. And that completely awesome. changed the paradigm for diabetes care, for high blood pressure. And, and, and we need more courageous physicians that are willing to uh, be scientists and ask these questions and then, and then figure out the answers. That's, that's, that's what the doctoral degree is all about. And so much in this, and I love how you said that physicians need to be like scientists because, yeah, I think the issue is these ultra processed foods, right? And um, we need people like you to speak up and give us a platform and give people the ability to really believe in you guys because um, I feel like a lot of people say they believe in doctors and they take your opinion twice as more seriously or 100 times probably more seriously than the average person, right? Because everyone thinks they know everything and i feel like if it comes from a doctor i feel like someone can take that very personally and from a patient standpoint what you say matters a lot um and it's very impactful to what they're going to do next with their life right so that being said on a lighter note i see you're a runner from a social part of the lifestyle medicine pillar does promoting diversity within your social group while you run with people does it help you also form strong social connections and you see like it's a benefit to you Overall, oh, uh, one hundred percent. I I think we live in a world uh, with many different traditions and perspectives, and it, you know, you're gonna you're gonna laugh and find this funny, but uh, <laughs> a uh, a year ago, uh, I attended my my first Indian wedding. You know, and. Uh, and, and yeah, and, and so I got to go. Uh, I, I got to go to the Mendi, the Sangeet, and then, then the reception. And and, 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 and and to be brought into people who I cared about, because you know my close friends, and to be able to share, to experience and share their culture right, in a more intimate way, it it was so enriching for me. I I, I can't explain to you. I, I always have a hard time. I, I feel like it sounds corny, but that's really how I felt, you know, it, because I got, because of them, I got to have access to a world that I would have never had access to, right. And partake in these experiences. Mm -hmm. yeah? And, and I think that's, what's cool. And, and I think, um, a lot of people, and, and I don't want to be controversial here, but I, I, I think most people, don't want to like appropriate. I I think in a way people want to be able to experience someone else's experience. Uh, and maybe sometimes we don't go about it the right way. Uh, but I really do you know, think that people are well-meaning and we value people's differing experiences and we wanna be able to partake in those things. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's incredibly valuable to, to, to have a diverse group. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful outlook, man. I, I really commend you for it because 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, just putting yourself out there in, in a culture where it's like different diversity, different backgrounds. I mean, yeah, it's a part of like, yeah, it's not the same culture as you, but it's also, like you said, people are good people. And then there's people that are welcoming to you, right? And even my brother, you know, he plays soccer and he, and he hangs out with a lot of people who are Hispanic, like uh, different kinds of like Caucasian people, like other kinds of people as well, Indian people. And the thing is, like, I notice it. I notice, like, how much he knows. I know, I notice, like, he's into some kind of cultural thing. And, like, just understanding, like, stuff that he brings to the table and, like, how I'm learning from a 16-year-old, it's just amazing, man. And I think uh, we need to keep that in mind. Like, you know, when you meet new people, don't be afraid, you know? I think form those social connections and see what they're about. Maybe you'll learn a thing or two, right? Or, like you said, get welcomed in a community that you never had access to. I think that's huge. So. Um, I just have a few quick rapid fire rounds for you, but it's just like lighthearted, so no worries. Then, uh, so just there you go. Happiness or happiness or wealth? Happiness or love? Or wealth? 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 Like oh, which? well, wealth. I can tell you right now, uh, being <laughs> a lifestyle medicine physician and pursuing lifestyle medicine, I definitely don't do it for wealth. So, <laughs> happiness. <laughs> Happiness is the greatest wealth. Awesome. No, that's great. I agree. AI or VR? Uh, virtual reality or uh, virtual reality or artificial intelligence? Which one do you pick more? Like favorite more? Oof. Because it's like I, a little like uh, you know, like the thing that yeah. shows you uh, the real virtual <laughs> view. The AI is almost like a robot, right? And yeah. Uh, I, its own thing, so. I, I want to remain optimistic and I know there's a lot of dangers with AI, but I think the potential, the impact, the positive impact it can have on humanity. So I'm going to lean on, uh, AI. Yeah. It's like almost like automation and crack. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So the, what's your favorite exercise? My favorite exercise. Uh, I think now. I really like, uh, man, this is tough. I, well, I, I recently picked up uh, rock climbing and okay. I think what I like about it so much is that, um, it, it's, it allows for a lot of people. There's no one way, uh, to, to solve what they call pro the problem or climb the path. Like if you're tall, you're going to climb it very different from a short person, but both people can achieve the same outcome and, sure. and, and it requires you to use your body in a variety of ways and ways that, and move in a variety of ways that we traditionally don't, uh, because of our just American sedentary lifestyle. So, uh, uh, I really enjoy it, uh, for, for that. Right. No, it's so true. And like, like I thought of like, how you said tall person, short person, I thought of Messi right, right away, like soccer. He's just one of the shortest guys out there. He's killing it. So, you know, yeah. Um, what's, who are your favorite role models? Favorite role model. Just, just name. You don't have to explain anything. Favorite role models. Oof. Like uh, MLK, uh, Kobe Bryant, you know. That, you know, that is a very difficult question uh, because 
a lot of people um, who, you know, he's a very controversial figure. Uh, I really like Elon Musk. I don't agree with everything he does, but huh? I think what I, what I appreciate is being able to look at the world, um, find the need in the world and, and how do you, how do you create solutions and try to really impact the world around you? And, and, and how do you take unconventional approaches and always be at the forefront and be constantly thinking? So, so I, I think I appreciate more so, uh, the way he problem solves and look at, looks at the world. Uh, right. Maybe his business practices and the way he treats people are very <laughs> questionable. Uh, yeah. uh, but ultimately, in trying to uh, make us a multiplanetary species and uh, decrease our dependence on fossil fuels, uh, I think those are all laudable goals. Uh, and just the way, how do you do that in a very hostile environment because going up against the automotive industry, man, you, that's just like asking for failure, but still managing to do it. Uh, you know, that, that, that's respectable, at least in my opinion. And he's holding up against his own, right? Because it's just like so many people doubted him during that time frame of, you know, saving, like, you know, spend gas, save power, but he proved everyone wrong, you know, cause it's one of those impossible feats that not a lot of people could have achieved. Um, and, from from that aspect, I agree with you. I think he's very uh, he's legendary in that sense from the electrical, uh, you know, motor vehicle industry. Um, everything else with the Twitter and all that stuff, I yeah. I question it, but yeah. but it's pretty funny too at the same time. So I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's the thing, right? It's like how do you? I I think more so it's the example of how do you hold on to an ideal and persevere even if other people can't see it. And, and that's really been my entire experience in the field of lifestyle medicine was that um, I believe this to be fundamentally true. Uh, in 2014, nobody knew what this was. Uh, I talked to faculty and my colleagues and they all kind of like, you know, like giggled or scoffed and, and, right. and I had to hold on to it. Like, this is right. Uh, and, and this is, this is right. I know this is right. And you see patients get better. Uh, and I think that's what gave me the validity. It was when I actually saw patients getting better and patients coming off their high blood pressure medications and telling me that like, oh, this is the first time in 20 years that I've felt so great and I'm no longer on medication. I no longer require, like that is what gave me the motivation to keep on going and know that, hey, people may not believe me, but this is the right thing to do. And we need to spread this message uh, to as many people as possible. And we gotta keep pushing forward because it's just the right thing to do. Uh, and uh, yeah, so when you look at, and every successful business owner has sort of gone through that experience uh, is that you find a foundational truth and you stick with it um, and tr try to make it a reality despite the naysayers. I mean, even Amazon, they, you know, they're like, oh, that'll never work. You know, it's like, <laughs> and look at where we are today.
Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's like a lot of stuff that like startups and stuff like that failed. And, you know, luckily, like a lot of these people that were like kind of like ridiculed, but growing up, like Jeff Bezos worked out of a garage, right? I believe mm-hmm. so. It was just like, you know, like you could, you have to hold on to your truth and your truth will be the only truth if you can hold on to it right enough. And even with me with this podcast, man, a lot of people were like, yo, you can't do this. Or, you know, like, there's no way you can talk to all these people, like, for an hour long thing. But I'm like, it depends if you're interested in people, right? And I'm interested to know where you're coming, where you're, you're coming from, because I'm trying to learn as a student. I'm not trying to be a teacher. I'm trying to learn and grow, right? So I'd love to, like, have you on more. And thank you for answering all my rapid fire questions. I think yeah. you did a great job. And, you know, having you on is such a benefit to you know the audience and just for lifestyle medicine and if anyone wants to pursue it you know go to saw thank you no, I, 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 I appreciate just for having me and, and giving me a platform and access to, to your audience so that I can communicate this message and hopefully they can take some value and again I'm just super proud of you man because again Thanks, I, you remember my reaction when I saw you after you made yeah, this change and again, and yeah, uh, you were ecstatic. You were like, wow, you can't believe you did this. And you were just so happy for me. So all love, bro. And I, and I appreciate you too. And I always see you also like for those that don't know, Sal's cut as hell. So go to him for your <laughs> physical advice. You know what I mean? He knows his stuff. And definitely I'll, I might, uh, you know, tend to you when I'm in my deficit form, because right now I'm just meal prepping as much as I can. I'm trying to do what I can before March, uh, you know, the wedding season next year and, you know, more than happy to help you, my man. <laughs> so we can take it offline. But thank you so much for coming on again, Tom. Thank you, everybody. All right, thank you for having me.